Thank you for listening to the article podcast from the UBS Art Advisory Team in the United States, which guides individuals and families toward the best practices and principles to build, maintain, and plan for exceptional, lasting collections. My name is Matthew Newton, UBS Art Advisory Specialist for the U.S. and host of these podcasts, in which UBS will share insights from practitioners in the art and collectibles world. While my guests and I sometimes discuss services and capabilities that they and their organizations provide, please note that UBS has no formal affiliation with any of our guests or their organizations, and in no way is UBS promoting or endorsing our guests or their organizations. And now, on to the episode. Good morning, everyone. Buenos dias a todos. My name is Rick Gonzalez. I'm head of UBS International and have been domiciled here in Miami for the last 25 years. And I'm honored to be here with you. I have been roughly to 21 of these Art Basels since we started. So it's it's great to see how the show has progressed and have become an integral part of Miami. We have a special morning for you here. Uh, my colleague and our in-house art advisor, Matt Newton, is going to be leading a chat that I think you're all going to find very interesting. Here at UBS, uh, we take art very seriously. Uh, as a matter of fact, I want to Quickly recognize the lady who oversees her 30,000 art pieces here. Mary Rossell, raise your hands so people see you, and it's good to have you with us. Mary is almost a permanent installation here, and it's it's the heart of the every year when we have the, uh, the VIP room and the show and everything. Thank you so much, Mary. Now, the... Uh, Today's special morning, we're going to have the impressions of an artist, which have Gabriel de la Mora with us, and uh, we also have the impressions of a collector, and thank you, Dani Levinas, to be here with us, and also the nice addition we have, which I actually had dinner with her the other night, we also have the impressions of a museum director and curator. Uh, Magalia Riola, uh, Riola actually is the curator of the Meridian section, which is right outside here. And she's also the director of the Museo Tamayo in Mexico City. So I'm going to pass this over to Matt, and we're going to kick this off, and I look forward to a wonderful morning with all of you. Thank you all for attending. It's great to be here with you. Great. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for, for coming out on a, especially the Friday morning in Miami, which is not easy to do for breakfast. So we're really grateful for you all to be here. I feel incredibly privileged to get to spend a few minutes speaking with uh, Gabrielle and Danny and Magali, so thank you all three for being here. Uh, I'll quickly provide uh, 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 bios for each of them so you can have a little bit more information about the, the great minds that we have here to speak with this morning. So uh, first of all, Gabrielle de la Mora, whose work, uh, when you leave breakfast this morning, please be sure to go and find it just outside in the Meridian section. There are two, and Gabrielle will share more about this work later, but two large squares, one that's uh, dark, one that's gray, and that's his work out there, which we'll speak about more. So be sure to go and find that. Uh, Gabriel de la Mora is an artist based in Mexico City. Gabriel researches, collects, and manipulates remarkably diverse materials, exploring themes such as performance, the passing of time, and the transformation of matter and energy. He earned an MFA in painting from Pratt Institute, New York, and a BFA in architecture from Universidad Anahuac del Norte, Mexico City. He has been a Fulbright Garcia Robles grant recipient, a grantee from the Jacques and Natasha Gelman Foundation, and a member of the National System of Creators, Funca, Mexico. His work is part of public and private collections internationally, including Fundacion Colección Humex, Mexico, Museum of Contemporary Art, Los Angeles, 
the Museum of Fine Arts Houston, El Museo del Barrio in New York, and the Perez Art Museum in Miami. He is represented by galleries Proyectas Monclova in Mexico City, Timothy Taylor in London, Sicardi Ayres Bacino in Houston, and Periton Gallery in Paris, New York, and East Asia. Gabriel, thank you for being here. Thank you. Uh, next uh, here beside Gabriel is Danny Levinas. Danny was born in Buenos Aires in 1948. <clears throat> In 1980, he moved with his family to Washington, D.C., where he founded a publishing company. He is chair emeritus of the Board of Trustees of the Phillips Collection, the United States' earliest modern art museum created in 1921 with the collection of Duncan Phillips. He is currently a member of the boards of the Fundacion Museo Reina Sofia Madrid and the Orchestra of the Americas Group. Prior to this, he served on the Board of Trustees of the Hirschhorn Museum and Sculpture Garden in Washington, D.C., Levinas collects internationally, excuse me, international contemporary art with a specific focus on Latin American artists. And in 2020, he and his wife, Morello, were distinguished by Fundacion Arco with its A Prize for collecting. Danny, thank you very much for being thank here. Thank you. As well. Thank you. Okay. And finally, to our left, Magali. Magali Ariola is director of Museo Tamayo in Mexico City. She was the Cadiz League Curator for Latin America from 2016-2019 and curated the Mexican Pavilion for the 58th Venice Biennale. She was chief curator at Museo Humex between 2011 and 2014, where she organized exhibitions for artists such as James Lee Byers, Guy de Conte, and Jan Vo. She was curator of Museo Tamayo between 2009 and 2011, and she was visiting curator at the Wattis Institute for Contemporary Art in San Francisco in 2006. Ariola has extensively written for books and catalogs and has contributed to publications such as Art Forum, Freeze, Moose, Manifesta Journal, and the Exhibitionist, among others. Magali is also curator, as we highlighted, of the Meridian section here of the oversized artworks, uh, part of our Basel, and has been doing that since uh, 2019. So thank you very much for being here, Magali, as well. Okay, wonderful. So, Gabrielle, for starters, uh, I would love to hear from you the work that I described that's in the Meridian section. Uh, it's a fantastic <laughs> piece. It's very, I would say for someone who's seeing it for the first time, it's very subtle. Uh, it's it's large, but for you, I would say it's enormously large monumental scale. Uh, and I'd love to hear a little bit about why that's the case for you, a little bit about the process for making that artwork. Well, thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Magali, Dani, uh, UBS International, Art Basel Meridians. Thank you for coming, all of you. Uh, thank you, Proyectos Monclova, to support to have this work here at this amazing section, Meridians. And I'm so happy to be in Miami Basel that the level is incredible. A lot of museum quality sections, boots and everything. And uh, when I was invited to be part of this uh, Meridian section that uh, is focused somehow, I don't know, Magali, about monumental works, it was something really interesting that made me think about what does monumental is is about the scale, something big, or maybe could be monumental just having over two years uh, of doing one piece, one made out of obsidian fragments, uh, actually 86,054 obsidian fragments <laughs> in a two meters by two meters piece. If somebody wants to count it, you can do it. And, uh, and it takes like a little over two years to do something like that. And it's a diptych with the, also the other piece is 89,911 fragments of andesite. These two materials are ignea rocks, 
one from uh, erupted volcano that uh, the lava goes cold very fast and crystallizes and makes the black obsidian. And the other side, it gets cold a little uh, slower. I never thought about to, to put them to do the math and see how is on the site and obsidian fragments. The total is 175,165 <laughs> fragments. And if I do the numerology and I put 1 plus 7 plus 5 plus 9 plus 6 from 5, gets a 33. 33. Two pieces. One is uh, reflected as a mirror image of the obsidian. The other one is absorbing energy. And the 3 plus 3 is a 6 that upside down is a 9. I love, and this is the way I think, the titles are amounts that to me art is for everyone. And I love that the amount is global. The numbers everywhere is the same. And, and it's amazing to think about uh, this kind of issues and questions. What does monumentality is? Yesterday in a dinner, a collector came to me and he said, I have another answer for monumental that you mentioned. And he said to me that monumental for him, it was the heart. And, and it was making me think about other things about sensibility. For me, the first impact of any artwork is visual, even if it's the most conceptual. And after moving emotionally and then put you, like, as you mentioned, is there are two big pieces that they are really two monochromes, one black, one gray, one with reflection, the other one with no reflection. And uh, you can meditate, and contemplation is something really important also to me, and something that moves you emotionally and then make you, make you think, to me, is a bet that could happen to art. Mm. So I invite you, as Matthew said, that at the end you can see the piece. I'm going to be there if you want some other questions or something around the, the work. And uh, let's see. Well, I have another question for you, which is uh, when, I, when I look at your work and seeing the sort of the history of your work to date, I think of a lot of different uh, other artists who have come before. And I'm curious to hear from you. You know, I see, in, on the one hand, a very sort of formal abstraction, like artists like Robert Ryman or Carmen Herrera, these kinds of artists come to mind. On the other hand, I think of very sort of optical and perceptual type artists like you know, Anish Kapoor or Oliver Lyson. I'm wondering, which is the right lineage of artists for us to think about for you? Are there others that I'm not thinking of that, that are more appropriate? Wow. As an artist, there's nothing more excited than an artist buying another artist's work. I love that. I, since I was a little boy, I, I have been connected with art, and I have a lot of uh, artists that I really admire. Rufino Tamayo, that I'm still on, since I was a little boy until now, I see another, I went to Rubel, and I saw an amazing Tamayo there, and somebody told me that it was the first piece that in the 80s, the Rubels bought that piece and started the collection. And it's incredible, right now, set at the Rubel, uh, next to a Gabriel Orozco hand, that the dialogue is incredible. For me, Tamayo is still contemporary in many levels, and and there are like so many artists, as you mentioned, I love Robert Reitman, I love uh, Angus Martin, Yayoi Kusama, the 60s and Nets mm. uh, works, uh, they are white, they are incredible. And I have a friend that is Amy Sambach, that is a widow of Fred Sambach, that when she was in Mexico, she saw the actual pieces, that they are monochromes of white, 
And she said, oh, I would love Robert Ryman and you talking about whiteness and this kind of process and works. Mm -hmm. And there's a collector that bought one of the actual pieces and put it in Zurich in their home. I visit the house and I see my work next to a Yayoi Kusama white necks <laughs> and I was like, wow, my <laughs> dream come through there in this amazing home. And it's so amazing how the art can give me so many artists, artists that I admire, that slowly we become friends, and I met them, and we start talking about works from different generations, and, and it's something incredible. Mm. There are so many, also Mexicans, there are also so many. I love also crafts, I collect many things. Mm. I have a hair collection, oh. and <laughs> among many other objects and materials that I collect, discarded shoe soles, dust from my studio and my house that is completely different. And, and, and much of that comes into your work also. Uh, I mean, th these materials that you're describing that you collect end up being parts of your working process, which you know I, I think is so fascinating to, to see. And I'd, I'd love to bring in sort of the... Uh, professional curator here among us, Magali, since we're sort of de uh, describing that process. And I mean, it's anyone who has not yet spent time in the Meridian section here or is not familiar with the background of it, when you experience the art fair, you'll notice that it's, it's mostly objects that will fit inside of a traditional viewing space, like a booth or a home or a gallery. The Meridian section is really dedicated to works that are more ambitious in, in physical scale normally, uh, some, sort of, some sort of monumentality. Uh, but Magali, I'd love to hear about your process for curating it, how that section uh, comes together. So, I, well, hello everyone, <laughs> before I start. Yes. Thank you again for the invitation. And uh, yes, I think it's really interesting to hear uh, Gabriel speak about it uh, in terms of monumentality and, and whatever that means for you. So the, the sector started in 2019 and it really um, kind of departed from the same idea as Unlimited in, in Basel, mm -hmm. Basel, Basel. So, so the idea was uh, to show, to display like uh, large scale works and as soon as I started, you know, like thinking around it, we, of course, you know, like the amount of space that we have here is very different from the amount of space that, that uh, Unlimited has in, in Basel. Mm -hmm. So it not only reduced the number of projects, but it also uh, made me think about what, you know, like uh, large scale works means. Mm -hmm. And so I started, you know, like thinking on how to like re, Re reset the notion of scale, you know, like, and, and see how these works could be expandable in a way. Like, not only in terms of size, but also maybe in terms of, you know, like, or space, but in terms of time. Mm. So, that was one of the ideas also behind the, the, um, the fact of integrating, uh, performance art, for example, which is something that develops over time instead mm -hmm. of, you know, like, just having, like, large scale works. Uh, yesterday we had a concert by Stefan Cherepin um, in the terrace, so that was one. That that is one example mm -hmm. that we have uh, integrated. And and well, of course, video pieces. No, that's uh, which also are very difficult to integrate in the normal section of the of the art fair just because of space. And I thought it was like really interesting to to listen to Gabriel on how you know like. It's not that those works are especially like large, but but it really also like resignifies in a way like the works resignify this idea of monumentality. Mm -hmm. you know? That's great. And like regarding the process, 
So as you, as you can tell from like walking into the show and for those of you who haven't done it, you know, like I, I will also be there later. Um, and I can gu guide you through some of, um, the works. It's, it's very difficult, you know, like to make sense out of the selection. It's not that there is like an overarching theme, you know, like in every, we started again in 2019. And like every time, you know, like the show turns out to be very different from the, the, the time beforehand. Mm -hmm. And I guess what is really interesting is that it kind of allows you to read a little bit in between the lines. And it's really, you know, like it's more that when I start articulating the show based on the proposals we get or based on the proposals that, you know, like when, when I'm working on it, so I reach out to some of the galleries or I reach out to some of the artists, you know, like if I, I have encountered works that seem to me that would make sense, you know, like within the sector. And then we also have... Um, like galleries just like proposing other projects. So once we make the selection with a selection committee, there's always, you know, like this kind of thematic threads that you can follow. Mm -hmm. And I think like this time, it was really interesting, you know, like not all of the works are uh, uh, dealing with the same uh, thematics or the same um, priorities. But I like to think that there's like a sort of, zooming in to nature and zooming into the environment and mm -hmm. zooming into the planet and then like a zooming out, no? The, mm -hmm. Like one of the central pieces is uh, Sung Tek Lee's work. Uh, he's an artist from Korea, which is like this inflatable balloon that was uh, actually meant to be activated. So now like if you saw it when you enter, it's like fully inflated and it's meant to deflate over time. During, so at the end of the show, you know, like it's going to be like almost flat, and that's because so it, it has it has been activated, so it actually you know like bears the marks of, of the activations like little holes, which cause it to deflate. So of course it um, it speaks to the fragility of the planet, and again I think it's really interesting to see you know like to to have like this perspective from afar on the planet, and then you go to Gabriel's work. And you actually go like almost into the micro, mm -hmm. no, and then you can again, you know, like, and that micro actually is speaking about mon monumentality, no. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, you know, like this kind of relationships that I didn't mean to, you know, like bring at the very beginning of the of the show and the, the creating process, but that basically appear, you know, like all along the the yeah. process, and and that's one of the probably most enjoyable parts, you know, just like creating those dialogues mm -hmm. that are completely unexpected and, and that actually reveal like different uh, That's great. perspectives on the world. And thinking of that uh, sort of uh, global idea and thinking about the world as a whole, I, I think it's great that as a curator, you've had a great deal of experience specifically in Latin America, but as one would expect, you have a, a highly international lens. And that's made me curious about in your experience in the Latin American art scene, particularly in Mexico, how have you seen that that area influence wider sort of global trends in the art world, and, and maybe vice versa? That's a difficult question because it's really it's really broad, and I think you know, like maybe it's better to talk about dialogue rather than influences, mm. uh, like in the. 
particular case of Mexico, I think it's like a very, very rich art scene. And uh, which, so like to, to make like a very healthy, you know, like art scene, art scene, you actually need like several elements. No, it's not that you only have like amazing artists or, you know, like a great pool of creators or great galleries. You really need to have all of them interacting at the same time. Mm -hmm. Institutions too. So as we were saying before, uh, like in our conversation, it's, it's really, I won't remember, I'm really bad with numbers as opposed to Gabriel. <laughs> I never remember the, the, you know, like the, the specific numbers, but I think we have over 200 museums just in the city. Mm. So the shoe museum, the Tamayo museum, the archaeology museum, you have like all this, but it's really like a very healthy, um, scene in that sense. And you need like all those elements to interact. You need like a museum to support an artist, a galleries to, you know, like help the museum sometimes, the collector who, you know, like supports everyone. So everyone is feeding from, from one another. That is probably something very particular to Mexico. Some other countries, maybe you can tell us more about it in Latin America are not as lucky as I think uh, we are. And the other thing that has been really important, and I think I would say that, you know, like Art Basel Miami has played an important part into yeah, this, absolutely. is the dialogue with the, with the United States. For us specifically, being neighbors. Mm -hmm. no? But I think really, um, like the, for the last 20 years, you know, like, it, like, like the, this proximity with, uh, with the U.S. And, with, and specifically with Miami and the, the whole structure of the art fair has really made a difference uh, to, to expand that dialogue now between... I'd, I'd love to bring Danny into the conversation now, too. Just as you mentioned, collectors are an incredibly important part of that ecosystem, along with the institutions, of course, the artists themselves. And uh, Danny Levinas, which I, I need to highlight here, who actually recently authored a book, which is a compilation of, of his studies of other great collectors called The Guardians of Art. And I like to point out that I've read this book so thoroughly that it's it's, be, it's becoming unbound. And so when Danny signed my book, he said to Matthew, "Please don't destroy this book, <laughs> your friend Danny." I don't I don't promise not to destroy it, but it's been a great source of wisdom. And Danny, on on that topic, I'd love to hear how you think about the role of collectors in that in that ecosystem uh, in terms of supporting uh, an art network in a particular country, perhaps. Well. Uh... I think that, let me tell you a story about how discover Gabriel. Um, I was in, I was born in Argentina. I live in the United States. I was in Torino, Italy, in a fair, called Artissima. And normally I go through the fair very fast and I try to remember what I like, then I can go back. And uh, so I saw one of his works in a gallery that was from the UK, Timothy Taylor. And uh, so that shows you a little bit about the, this international situation. I'm Argentina and the United States being in Italy, the gallery from the UK. And I didn't know that work that was his because it was different from everything that I have seen before. And so I asked, and he said, it's a Mexican artist. His name is uh, Gabriel in, uh, de la Mora. And I I said, well, I'm going to buy this. And the following day, it was named the best artwork in the fair by the art newspaper. <laughs> uh, so that's how I got to, to meet Gabriel and his work. 
and I this I don't know if we can consider that work monumental, but it was pretty big. And heavy. And heavy. <laughs> it was done with, with sixty-eight kilos. No, <laughs> <laughs> with three big panels of, of, of steel. So, regarding the the, the influence of uh, Latin America uh, in the relation with the rest of the world, I would say that it's a very hard question to answer because there are uh, very important artists that were born in Latin America uh, in the past and now. And unfortunately, the, the, the ones who really succeed internationally, I would say, and, and su su successful is not only the price of the work, but who buys it and what museums are showing it and what galleries represent uh, the artists. Most of those artists do not live in Latin America. They were born maybe in Latin America, but they, they, they moved. And it's unfortunate that that situation happens. And uh, I don't know how that's going to change. Fairs like uh, Basel and Miami are very helpful for that. But it still needs something else to happen to, to make more important the, the art from Latin America. One of the things that was done in the last 10 or 15 years is that I don't know if you remember, but there were auctions by Christie's and Sotheby's, and, and there was a separate auction for Latin American art. And I, and I thought, is this good or bad? Uh, obviously, the, the auction houses decided that it was bad, and they said, if this is good art, it should not be categorized as Latin America. They should be, contemporary art should be with the contemporary artists. But when you see what happens with that, you still see that there is a difference between the rest of the world and, and, and Latin America. And I, I don't want to give you names, but I, I will give you uh, examples of there are artists who have done uh, incredible work 50 years ago. At the same time, that was incredible work being done in Europe 50 years ago. And, and any expert will tell you that those works are very comparable. There, are no, there is no difference between the quality of the work and, and, and what they've done what were they trying to do doing that work? But the artist that was born in Europe, his prices are much higher than the one that was born in Brazil or Mexico or Argentina. And you say, why? But it's a reality. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody said to me once, and I, I repeat this, and I'm going to say it in Spanish and English, eh, el arte vale lo que vale el país, which is terrible. The art is worth what the country is worth. It's terrible to say that, but it's a reality. And you can see that also uh, in the countries uh, in Latin America that do more or do less for the art world, not just to helping artists, but to help museums, etc. Brazil is a good example. Brazil did a lot. And the other thing that happened in Brazil is that the Brazilian collectors believed in the Brazilian artists. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they did incredible collections with those, with those artists. So, unfortunately, Latin America has many ups and downs. Mm -hmm. Countries go up and down. And also, the, the whole continent uh, goes up and down. And I think that people who collect, and I'm not talking about money, 
I'm talking about the, 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 the sense of security that gives you to buy something that is from a country that is always up. And, uh, and, and I think that one example is China. All of a sudden, 10, 15 years ago, Chinese art started going up and up and up, not only in prices, again, but in recognition. I mean, you saw Chinese art all over the, the place. Uh, it's, it's kind of declining now, but it's still a very powerful place. And so I think that more museums opened in the last 10 years in China than in, in 100 years in the rest of the world. So that means that people are uh, uh, helping the art community to, to grow. So it's a question that, you know, how, if they, inf if they influence, you mean the influence in about if somebody does uh, something in Latin America, is that something that is going to catch up in, in Europe? It, art grows, I don't know from where, but it, it's, it's, things happen at the same time. People don't know each other and, 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 and they're painting the same kind of things. And so I don't know if there is, I think it's more a dialogue than an than influence. Yeah, that's, I think that's a great point. I, I, I tend to agree with that as well. And bringing you back actually to, to Gabriel, to your work, I'm, I'd love to sort of think about the one thing I've noticed in looking at your work is that it tends to be very uh, philosophical, very thoughtful in nature. You know, I think I've, I've heard you discuss themes of, of repetition and how even if something is, is repeated, there's a difference in it over time. Uh, but your work, I think, is not just uh, an illustration of a concept. These clearly, most people approach your work and it's very just simply beautiful at, when you first approach it. There's just this high sort of visual sensitivity to it. And I would, I'd love to hear from you how you balance the conceptual and the philosophical in your work with the visual pleasure. It seems like at the end you're, you're sort of seeking to make something that's, that's visually attractive. Wow. Yeah, I, I love uh, the connection between the formal and the conceptual. To me, it's something that can, the conceptual cannot exist without the formal, and the formal cannot exist without the conceptual. I have a teacher from my Master of Fine Arts at Pratt in New York, Robert Morgan, my conceptual art teacher that is amazing, and he said, Gabriel, it's impossible. The formal is formal, and the conceptual is conceptual, and cannot be together. And I say, yeah, I understand what you mean, but for me it's completely different. For me, the formal cannot exist without the conceptual. Mm. And to me, the first impact of any artwork, even if it's the most conceptual, is through the eyes, mm. always. That makes you move emotionally, and then by contemplation, uh, they start raising kind of questions, and something that moves you emotionally and then makes you think is the best, the best that could happen to art. So the visual, the beauty, to me is, beauty could be also in the ugly. So it's, we have to define what those beauty could be. There are many things that there are, for many people, horrible, that for me are amazing and beautiful. And, and, and there are like a big discussion in, into that, uh, again, with the creation and the destruction concepts and everything. So, I don't know, it's something that uh, I don't know if I push to do beautiful things or I'm connected with the kind of materials as the butterflies somehow. That is something that since I was a little boy, I was really amazed about how a butterfly can fly, the colors, the iridescence, that's something that could change. Right now I'm doing a series connected into that and I say, I wish I can paint 
and with colors and patterns from nature someday. Maybe 10 years ago it could be impossible because it's such an impressive and expensive research with the historians and entomologists to to try to find something that is as ephemeral because if you touch a butterfly, it, it destroys by your hands mm. in many ways. It's extremely fragile. The, the butterfly lives so so short period of time. And I, I said, I'm going to do something here. And it's amazing how an idea that can create a piece, the piece can create a series. But finally, in most of my work using different materials, the, this, the series can give you a new media. And I'm also kind of collecting new medias, new materials besides many other things. But beauty to me is something important in art and is not the most important thing. The most important thing is the questions that art can raise in many ways. Mm. A surprise. I love to see the reaction in the art fair because as an artist, you never have your first impact of your own work. So that's why I love to be in the booth, just watching expression. There are people that could cry, and I love when something can make you cry, not of sadness, maybe by emotion, passion, that is something really important in art. Mm. Surprise, I love to write an idea that makes me crazy, and I say, oh my God, that is, is, it looks amazing. And when I see the final uh, work, it says, wow, it's incredible. Oh, it doesn't work and will be not destroyed, it will be higher in, in the storage, and, and let's see what happens. But beauty is something that is really important, and uh, what uh, you were, I was listening with Magali and, and, and Danny. It's interesting that right now I have my work exhibited in four different galleries here in our Basel, mm-hmm. uh, with Proyectos Monclova, with, uh, with Perrotan, with Timothy Taylor and Simos de Assis, different series that makes a connection that is expanded in, and also meridians, that is the fifth point. That is something quite interesting. And, and also, I like that we were talking about the, the Latin American artists besides the European or something. And Proyectos Monclova is showing seven artists that is, ba- is a gallery based in Mexico City and the seven artists are Mexicans. Mm. So it's quite interesting also to, to find this kind of thing for many people. We are, well known with someone, but there will be new names for everyone. That is something that is also surprising in the art fairs, finding new proposals, materials, new names, and that you can follow and, and see what is going on. And, and I don't know. Yeah, that, that's great. Thank you, Gabriel. Well, I'm sure you can all see we have an incredible amount of wisdom here uh, speaking <laughs> to us this morning. I have dozens of more questions that we're not going to be able to get to this morning, but um, please find time to come and speak to these three uh, if you have uh, additional thoughts. There's, there's so much to learn from them all. Uh, again, I want to thank you, uh, Gabrielle. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Magali, for being here. And thank you all for coming out this morning. And let's give them a sort of nice round of applause for sharing their thoughts this morning. Thank you. All. Thank you. Thank you. Please enjoy breakfast. Enjoy the fair. <laughs> thank you. UBS Financial Services, Inc. or its affiliates and its employees are not affiliated with any third-party speakers mentioned.
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreement and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy.